essentially what influencer marketing is, is trying to work through a third party to persuade their audience to try or buy your product, think your way, change their opinion about you. So it depends on a lot of different things. You can do influencer marketing really successful without spending a dime, and you can do influencer marketing really successful spending tens of thousands of dollars. The following is brought to you by Thrive, the end-to-end -end client experience platform that helps you get the job, manage the job, and get credit. Hey, hey, this is Gordon Henry at Winning on Main Street, and this week you get to meet Jason Falls. Jason heads up influencer strategy at Cornet, a marketing agency in Louisville, Kentucky. He's the host of the Winfluence podcast, which is about influencer marketing and speaks regularly to audiences all over the place about influencer marketing and digital marketing strategy. He's the author of Winfluence, Reframing Influencer Marketing to Ignite Your Brand. Welcome, Jason. Thanks, Gordon. I'm glad to be here. Good to have you. So maybe we could just start off kind of with the basics. What is influencer marketing? So influencer marketing is, is not new. Um, it's, it's been around for centuries, uh, but we, we think of it as new because it's a term that's been sort of coined with the advent of social media and social media influencers on Instagram and YouTube. But essentially what influencer marketing is, is trying to work through a third party to persuade their audience to try or buy your product, think your way, change their opinion about you. And so if you think about it, it lines up with public relations because public relations is, after all, working through a reporter, a journalist, a third party person to try to impact their audience on your behalf. So it's no different than PR. The social media world has changed the dynamic of public relations because influencers aren't trained journalists. So when you come to them and say, will you talk about my thing? Their response is, how much are you going to pay me? <laughs> and that's not what PR people are used to. So the, the rules have changed a little bit. But the, the first real sort of historical premise of influencer marketing that uh, most people point to is Josiah Wedgwood with Wedgwood China. Uh, in England in the uh, in the 1700s, uh, he he asked for Queen Charlotte's blessing to call uh, a line of his China the Queen's China, and she gave him that blessing, and he became the biggest you know potter in the world because of that. And so, influencer marketing is is not new; it's not different. Uh, it just takes on some different dynamics in this world of of social media influencers. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was gonna. I was going to ask you kind of, we're all familiar with sort of pitch men, if you will, like William Shatner from Star Trek pitching <laughs> Priceline. You know, he was right. a great pitch man, right? But that's that's different because it's, well, is it different? It, it is and it isn't. I mean, celebrity influencers are, are what I would call, um, you know, your traditional celebrity spokespeople are influencers. They have an audience. They're influential. When you think about it from a strategic perspective, the way I like to interpret it is, you know, Conor McGregor, the MMA fighter, signed a big deal to be the pitch man for Burger King. And the only thing I can think of that Conor McGregor knows about burgers is he can make your face look like raw burger meat <laughs> uh, in the ring. 
But if you take someone like a Guy Fieri, who's a chef, who has restaurants, who knows how to make a burger, now all of a sudden you're talking with an influential person that aligns more with what you're trying to sell. Mm -hmm. So if you think of it in that context, from just using celebrity examples, you can start to see how you think strategically about using online influencers or community influencers in your own community. Uh, you want to make sure that they make sense and they line up for your brand. Cause if they don't, there's always going to be a disconnect there. It's not going to work as much. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So our audience is local, small business people, you know, so how does influencer marketing, how would it be relevant for, you know, a dermatologist or a plumber or somebody who does kitchen remodeling? How, sure. how would influencer marketing be relevant for them? So it's it's just as relevant as it is for big brands because again if they're if the audience of that influential person let's say it's a, a local uh, business you know review blogger like for instance in in Louisville Kentucky where I live uh, we have a blog called Louisville Family Fund and it's uh, a young lady who has built a, a blog and a social media network basically around saying here's what the cool events are coming up this weekend for moms and dads to take their kids to well if i'm a kids dentist office or if i am a, a you know a, a chuck e cheese or something like that i could reach out to her and say i want to talk to your audience you are the influencer in this scenario how can we partner together so that you are frequently telling your audience about my product or service? Um, you know, same kind of thing in, in Lexington, Kentucky, where Cornette is based. There are two young ladies called the Kentucky Taste Buds, and they've built an entire social media presence on basically going and reviewing local businesses. It could be restaurants, but it could also be new, you know, fashion shops or hotels or, you know, staycation getaway type things. And they've built a really nice sphere of influence in central Kentucky around that. So if I'm the Campbell House Hotel in Lexington and I've opened up a new, you know, uh, the Rack House Tavern restaurant, I'm going to reach out to them and invite them over and have them you know, try a meal so that they will post something on their social networks about it. So it's really, again, finding those people who impact the audience you're trying to reach who might have influence. I would try to encourage people to think of it, not just in terms of people on Instagram and YouTube, that might be perfectly relevant, but you might also have very influential people in your community who aren't on social media at all. Like for instance, if you sell through to parents and children, uh, then, and you're a, a local dentist, let's say, or you're a, yeah, let's say you're a local dentist. It might be that other people who sell through to parents and children are the influencers you need to reach. Like you need to get your materials in front of school counselors and nurses or teachers, things of that nature. So it's again, identifying who influences the audience you want to reach and trying to figure out a way to partner with them to influence them on your behalf. Okay. And just maybe another example, hypothetical I'm thinking about. So if I work on people's homes, I do roofing or I remodel or I design or do something with the home Obviously, it'd be great to have testimonials from clients who I've done work for on their homes, but it'd probably be even better if I could find somebody in my community who has a blog about homes or a blog yep. about how to design your home, things like that. Is that Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Home decor, interior design, landscaper, somebody who does something like a local gardening enthusiast mm. who does gardening stuff would be a perfect person to try to connect with. But again, using that offline mentality, you might also want to connect with local real estate agents because mm. they're selling houses to people who might need upgrades. And if they're talking to those people about you while they do it now, all of a sudden you're in the conversation. Let's talk about the economics of 
influencer marketing. Does, does it work? How does it work? I mean, you know, do I have to pay a lot for this influence and do I get the leads that justify that expense if I'm a small business? It, it always depends. Um, because if you, and, and let me put it this way, this is another good thing for small businesses uh, and local businesses to think of. Um, there's a young lady who's based in Lexington, Kentucky named Gabby Mail, who is a fitness and wellness influencer, body positive fitness, yoga, that kind of thing. Uh, Gabby's been working on her, building her network on Instagram and whatnot for several years. And she has 300, 400,000 followers. She is a wellness fitness influencer. However, if you are a you know local spa or gym or something, or you sell apparel out of your store, a fitness apparel, active wear, and you want to partner with Gabby, it's probably going to cost you thousands of dollars to work with her because she's selling to brands who can reach, you know, three or 400,000 people. If you look at her audience, though, about 2% of them might be in Lexington, Kentucky. So for local Lexington, Kentucky businesses, she doesn't make a lot of sense. She's going to cost too much and she's not going to reach enough of your audience to be able to really make it worth your while. So what you would need to do is, again, sort of turn that, you know, uh, that that in, in that research mind on, OK, who are the people who are influential to my prospective audience, people who want to work out, buy apparel, et cetera. But they have their footprint is here. Their audience is here, not just yep. they're here, but the people they reach. And so if you do that and you you know, use some of the influencer marketing tools out there and whatnot, you can start to identify someone who maybe they have 12,000 followers, but 90% of them are in Lexington, Kentucky. Now, all of a sudden, you're looking at someone who's maybe going to charge you a couple hundred dollars for a post. But I would also say, especially if you are, if you're making a product or service and you're selling direct to consumer, you're selling online, there are plenty of, of micro and nano influencers out there, people with under 100 or 50,000 followers, even people under 10,000 followers who you can say, hey, I'd just like to send you a, a free sample of my product. And if you like it, you write about it. If you don't, that's okay. I just want you to try it. I'd love your feedback. Those product seeding things don't cost you anything other than product. And a lot of times you can net 20 or 30% of the people you send them to will turn around and post about it. And so there are ways to do it where you're not spending any hard cash out of the uh, out of your pocket, you're actually just providing product and getting feedback on it. And then they're turning around and doing a review or a post about you that, uh, you know, enlightens their audience about what you have to offer too. So it depends on a lot of different things. You can do influencer marketing really successful without spending a dime. And you can do influencer marketing really successful spending tens of thousands of dollars. All right. That's, that's great stuff. Uh, it, it, it sounds like you're really talking about targeting there. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just like you target any kind of media, right? I shouldn't buy a national TV commercial or a Super Bowl ad when I'm trying to reach the Louisville, Kentucky market because there's a lot of spillage there. So exactly. what I want to do in that example would be buy an ad that reaches the Louisville market on TV, but same thing with influencer. I don't want to pay to have an influencer talking about me who's reaching a national audience when all I'm trying to do is reach Louisville. At least I don't want to pay to reach all those people I don't serve. Exactly. And if you think about it this way, a lot of the, the local businesses will, I think, understand this. Think about your morning show DJs on your local mm -hmm. radio station, right? Those people talk to your audience directly every day. They're pretty influential in your community. And that's why local radio is a good spend for local businesses. Mm -hmm. So think about it in that way. Think about the local issues bloggers or think about the uh, 
um, you know, local uh, girl who's trying to build her, you know, fashion empire, but she's only starting out and she's got 3000 followers, but it's really just in people who know her in town. Those are the ones who are going to make a lot more difference and have a lot bigger impact on your business, regardless of what kind of money you spend with them. The good news is when they have a lower, uh, lower audience count or lower follower count, uh, and they have a smaller geographic footprint, they're not in a position to charge thousands of dollars for access to their audience or for the content they create, unless they're brilliant at creating the content and you would pay them for a freelancer to do it like, like you would a freelancer otherwise. Yeah. Great. So Jason, we've been talking about influencer marketing because I know that's a specialty of yours, but I want to sort of back up the camera and just talk about digital marketing strategy. So small businesses, they need to think about marketing generally. They need to think about digital marketing since most of us live on our computers and our smartphones these days. Um, how does, back it up for me and say, how does influencer marketing fit into this bigger picture of marketing generally or digital marketing? Sure. Well, I think you, you know, you have to start uh, close to the bone. You have to start at home. And that means you need to have a good digital presence. You have to have a good website. It needs to be mobile friendly. You have to have a mechanism to either sell your product on that website or capture leads for people who will ultimately buy from you, whether you sell a product or a service or whatever. So if you've got that home base covered and you've got you know, a compelling, you know, funnel built to put people in. Influencers are one of the many ways you can use to fill that funnel, to get people to your website, to get people to consider buying your product or service. Now, you can also use advertising. You can also use public relations. You can also use social media, um, which is a way to, uh, you know, social media is kind of a way to engage people and get them interested in what you do. And eventually, hopefully, you lead them back to your website. It's not a not always a direct path to get people to come over and buy things, but it's more of an indirect relationship building path. I think influencer marketing is a little bit of both. It can be, I think, at its core, you know, if you want to use it smartly, influencer marketing is a long-term investment. You're investing in a relationship with the people who are influencing on your behalf over time so that you're constantly talking to the same audience, their audience over time. But you can also find the right influencer who has you know, a, a captive audience, like for instance, I mentioned Louisville Family Fun. Um, you know, if I'm Holiday World, which is an amusement park about an hour west of here, and I want to get more people from Louisville to drive over and come ride my roller coasters and buy my Slurpees, um, then I'm going to reach out to Louisville Family Fun and say, hey, we're going to do a, a, a Louisville Family gift pack just for you guys this weekend. We're going to run it on Tuesday and Wednesday for the weekend passes. Now, all of a sudden, I'm driving direct revenue you know, through an influencer or through an influence platform. So I, I really feel like um, you've got to start with that website and then you use influencer marketing at, along with other tools to fill that funnel. And hopefully you're doing a good job of making people who come in that funnel move down through it and convert as customers. Right, right. That last thing you said about convert as customers, we find uh, at, at Thrive, our parent company, where we sell advertising and as well as uh, business software to small businesses, that that last piece of what you just said, the conversion piece, it often kind of gets lost in the, in the uh, conversation that too many small businesses advertise, sometimes they advertise successfully, generate leads, and then they don't capture the leads and nurture the leads. Sometimes they don't even pick up their phone. What, yeah. what do you have to say about, about that part of the process of capturing and, and, and speaking to the customer you know, once they've expressed interest? Sure. So the two main goals that you have 
Um, and it's normally one or the other is what you're primarily trying to achieve, but they both work in, in, in concert with one another. But the two main purposes you're trying to advertise typically are awareness or conversion, right? Mm -hmm. Awareness fills the funnel, conversion empties the funnel and, and empties it in a good way, puts money in your pocket. The, the, the one thing that I would have to say to people who don't focus on the conversion part, you can't pay your mortgage with awareness. You, you know, as, as many followers as you have, as many website visits as you get, as much time on your site as you can generate, if those are your KPIs for awareness, and they should be KPIs for awareness, none of those will make salary next month. What will make salary is when you convert those awareness eyeballs into people who are paying you money. So if you get them there, but you can't convert them, doesn't do you any good. You wasted your time. You've got to do both. It can't be one or the other. You can have, now I've seen businesses who will start and they'll trickle out slow and they'll say, you know what? We're going to get the conversion piece right. We don't care how many people go to our website if we can't convert them. So we're going to figure out once people get to our website, we know exactly how to cue them down through the funnel to get them to pay. Once you figure that piece out, then you can do anything you want to do to fill that funnel because you know the other piece works. And so if I'm a new entrepreneur starting out with a new business, I'm going to figure out the conversion piece first because that's going to be my sort of you know runway lead time to get up to speed to where I really need to start making money. But that's the most important component. Doesn't matter how many people you get if you can't convert them. You got to do that first. Yep. Just picking up on that theme. So once your prospect expresses interest in your product or service, so now you've, you've sort of got them, they've They've, they've kind of raised their hand by either calling you, filling out a form, sending an email in some way, responding to your, your advertising or your, or your marketing. That information about that customer should go into a database, right? It should go into some type of CRM system where you, you know who they are, number one, and you have a way of reaching back out to them on some kind of regular basis to hopefully nurture them and then eventually get them to buy. And even after they buy, yeah, and the CRM system, and, and, and for those of you out there listening who, who don't quite understand what we're saying here, let me kind of try to paint this picture. A really good CRM system, a really good sales. So what we were talking about a minute ago was sales, right? You got to fill the funnel and then convert customers. But you're going to capture that customer information, whether it's through the order that they make or the form that they fill out on your website, whatever. You've got their email address. Maybe you've got their cell phone number. Maybe you've got a mailing address. If you set your website up and a CRM to be intelligent and talk to one another, then you can go into your data and look at every single individual customer and say, I know exactly how many times Jason Falls has come to my website. I know exactly which pages that he's gone to. I know exactly how much time he's spent on each page. And so, for instance, if I am interested in repaving my driveway, which I am right now, and I go looking at all these other, you know, uh, all these people who do concrete work in my area, and I go to their website and I look around at all the different pages, 99% of those people are never going to reach out to me because I went to their website. Even if I fill out a form to get a pricing sheet or somebody to call me, they might call me and say, hey, what are you looking for? I'll send you, you know, a quote or whatever. And that's the end of the, the conversion conversation right there until I call them back and say, I'm ready to hire you. The one that's going to win my business more than likely is the one that knows how many times I've been to their website, what pages I've gone to, how long I've spent, because they can reach out to me and they can set up triggers in the CRM system to automatically send me more information. This guy spent 14 minutes on the page about 
marble patterned concrete, whatever. I don't even know if that exists. I'm making it up. And so he's interested in this marble pattern thing. Let's trigger an email to him and anybody else who qualifies under this condition that says, hey, if you like marble pattern driveway patterns, here are the three th the designs that are most popular. And here's how easy this is to install. Now, all of a sudden, you're pulling me back to your website to learn more and you're engaging me deeper. And then when you know that I've been to your website seven times in the last four days, your salesperson is going to get an automatic trigger to call me and say, hey, can we come out and give you a quote? Because you're wearing our website out. And now all of a sudden I'm like, I'm in. I don't, I don't care what I end up buying. I'm buying it from them because they know who I am and, they, and, and it's a personalized experience for me. And you, if a, a good CRM system tied in with your website can do all that for you, it takes the time to set it up and make sure all those triggers are there. And you're constantly going to tweak it over time because you're going to learn that you need new triggers as more, more people come in and experience your content or you put new content out there. But if you do that, you can literally sit back and kind of watch the system nurture those leads for you so that when you do call them, they're like, here's my check. Just write the number on it. I don't even care what it costs. Yeah, that's great stuff. And, and so important to make sure that small businesses or any business that's spending money on advertising has all those pieces built in to make sure that they really, I guess, you know, take advantage of the, of the lead flow that they're creating. Jason, this is awesome. We'll be right back in one minute with more from Jason Falls. Quick, what do you think of when you hear influencer marketing? Selfies, peace signs, and duck lips? There's a big difference in influencers, those with audiences on social networks, and people with influence. I'm Jason Falls, and every week on Winfluence, the Influence Marketing Podcast, I talk to business owners and even the influencers themselves about how your business can leverage the power of influence, not just influencers. Join me, won't you? Subscribe today at winfluencepod.com or search Winfluence wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with Jason Falls of Cornette Marketing, and Jason's really been telling us a lot, giving us an education here about how to use marketing, how to use influencer marketing, and how to make the most of what you spend or do with marketing by creating a smart uh, CRM system, customer relationship management system. So I've been dying to ask you this question. So nowadays, in a lot of parts of the country anyway, business is booming. Small businesses, many, many places, they have more business than they know what to do with. In fact, their problem is they can't find enough workers to do the jobs. I've heard small businesses say, you know, you want me to come, like you said, driveway, do your driveway. You want me to paint your uh, interior of your house. You know, I'll sign, you know, you can, you can get on the list for six months from now. I mean, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. They can't hire people. They can't find the people, at least in certain markets. So what do you say to the small business who says, I'm doing well, things are good. Business is good. I'll worry about marketing later. <laughs> well, if you do that, then maybe three months from now, maybe six months from now, maybe a year from now, maybe three years from now, you're going to be sitting around and wondering, why don't I have any work? Where's, where are all my leads? You know, if you, marketing is not something that you can turn on and do for a little bit and then turn off because as soon as you turn it off, all of your competitors are drowning you out and, and becoming more top of mind to the people who might want to buy from you six months from now. Now, if you're in a situation where, hey, man, I'm booked for the next three months and I've got to put people on a waiting list and whatnot. That's great. I don't think the challenge is uh, let's figure out how long to stop. I think the challenge is let's figure out how to slowly nurture the four-month, five-month, six-month people along 
so that we can get their money when we have the availability. You don't want them going to a competitor. You want them to stay in the fold with you. So you put them in on the waiting list, but then figure out how you can stay in touch with them and communicate with them, maybe through your CRM system with content. Maybe you say, hey, the process takes this long and here's all the milestones we have to hit. And so you kind of get them locked in, get them committed, maybe get a deposit. And now all of a sudden you're walking them down a path of, okay, it's not going to take six weeks. It's going to take six months, but you're not losing the business. I think if you turn your marketing off or you say, I'll get to that later, then you're going to wake up one day and realize I can't make payroll because I, I stopped marketing and now I don't have leads. I don't have people on the waiting list anymore. We were too busy fulfilling orders that we forgot to, you know, uh, fill that funnel. And so that we had orders to, to fulfill when we got done with these. So marketing is not something you can turn off. It's something you have to constantly do. You can turn up the volume, you can turn down the volume, but if you turn it off, I mean, that's, that's business suicide in my opinion. Yeah. Another thing is you can use your marketing to change the way you do business or change the customer you're targeting. The example I'm thinking about is let's say you do jobs, painting houses. Well, maybe you want to raise your prices, but you're worried. Okay. Um, you know, what's that going to do? If you maybe say, hey, I'm worth more, uh, maybe because it's a hot market, I'm worth more, I'm going to charge more, and I'm going to be more selective about the jobs that come in. So you continue your marketing, you're getting those jobs, maybe you raise your prices, you know, whatever, 10% or whatever you think is appropriate. And some of those customers will say no, but others will now say yes. And it's a way of being more selective about who you provide your services to. That's a, that's a great idea. And another thing that I thought of as you were saying that is if, if you are full up, maybe you reach out and try to find someone else who does what you do to be a partner so that you can refer business to them and come up with a joint referral fee. I mean, passive income, who, who's going to turn away from that? So, um, you know, I have a situation that's somewhat correlated to that. I do influence strategy for Cornette, which is an ad agency. And we work with businesses that have basically million dollar marketing budgets and up. So we work with medium and large businesses. If someone calls me and they want me to help them with an influencer strategy for a small business, I can't really take that business on. So I've identified three or four consultants or smaller agencies that I can refer that business to. Some of them will actually pay me a little referral fee, a couple percent off of whatever they make. And now all of a sudden I've got passive income coming back to me or coming back to Cornette that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. And because I have taken the, um, you know, the customer, you know, discovery uh, and finding a customer, the customer acquisition costs out of the other person's hand, I've just said, Hey, here's a customer, you can have them. And so think about different ways to be creative with the time when you are full up so that you know you build partnerships that are going to keep you full up as long as you can. Great stuff. We just have a few minutes left, Jason. This has been uh, really very educational for me, and I, I talk about marketing all the time. <laughs> um, but I wanted to turn to you uh, a little bit more on the personal side. I know you're from Kentucky. You've mm -hmm. spoken uh, eloquently, I think, about uh, Kentucky and Eastern Kentucky, the area um, you know no, most people know as Appalachia or uh, Appalachia. Appalachia. Right, right? There you go. Appalachia. Sorry, <laughs> I knew I was going to mess it up. And the future of the economy of Appalachia. And how does this whole discussion we've been talking about marketing, digital marketing, influencer marketing, how does this, in your view, tie in to your concerns about the future of Appalachia? 
You know, I'm glad you asked me that question because this it, it Appalachia is one area of the country that this applies to, but it can really apply anywhere. And I recently did a uh, kind of a, a commentary piece on my podcast, uh, which is about influencer marketing. And I talked about how I think that the influencer economy and influencers create an opportunity for communities to rethink how economic development works. And so um, I was inspired a little bit a few years ago, a really good friend of mine named Justin Hall worked at a place called BitSource. Um, and he and uh, Rusty Justice and Lynn Parrish there in Pikeville, Kentucky, which is my hometown in far eastern Kentucky. Um, they tried an experiment where they said, we've got all these out of work coal miners, our economy is suffering, these coal miners, you know, they don't have, you know, work and they don't, they're not trained to do anything else. How can we reshape the economic development here? And so BitSource is the name of the company. They took a cohort of, of coal miners and taught them how to code, taught them computer code. And so now all of a sudden you've got, you know, a couple of dozen coal miners, former coal miners who are, you know, doing C++ and JavaScript and all sorts of HTML and, and whatnot, building websites for companies. So now all of a sudden you've got this business that's thriving on something in the new economy and you have put a bunch of out of work people to work doing something else because you just, you know, rethought how economic development works. It wasn't let's replace these coal jobs by encouraging people to buy more coal. It's let's replace these coal jobs by bringing some industry and some training here to get them to do something different that's more, you know, in demand. Mm -hmm. And so my point on that is, hey, the influencer economy is not a fad. It's here to stay. There are people out there with no education. Some of them are kids. Hell, some of them are pets or their owners anyway, um, creating audiences by creating content online. An influencer is a legitimate job these days. There are some influencers out there making more in a week than their parents make in a year. So to, to say it's not a career option is, is kind of ignorant. And so my thought is, let's start teaching people how to do this. Let's teach people if you have a talent or a skill, or you want to develop a talent or a skill to create content online, it could be you know, you're a, a photographer, you're a, a, a you make films, uh, you do YouTube videos, you uh, write funny jokes, you do TikTok dances, whatever the hell it is that you are interested in. Let's start teaching and cultivating young people and maybe even the unemployed to say, hey, if you if your grandfather told a bunch of really cool jokes and you can write them all down and figure out how to post them on TikTok, you could develop an audience there. And if you do, you can actually monetize that and make money as an influencer, as a content creator online. If we start embracing these new career opportunities like content creators on social media, we could turn the economies of small towns that are, are losing you know, jobs to big factories being shipped out to other states or other countries. We can actually turn the economies of our local, you know, our local communities around pretty quickly if there's enough people in that, uh, in that community that can sustain that. Now, I'm also one to say creating content on social media is not really a career-long sustainable thing, but you're starting to see content creators, like I, I interviewed Summer Ray, who's a big fashion beauty influencer. She just launched her own brand of skincare product. So now she's she used a YouTube channel and an Instagram feed to build up enough audience members to be able to partner with the right people to develop a product and now sell it. So she's an entrepreneur who owns a business that's selling a concrete real product. She's no longer an influencer. She's an entrepreneur, right? Mm. And so I think we need to just reframe how we think of influencers. And I think we can start to change a little piece of the economic development uh, efforts that we're doing in our communities. 
Yeah, it's a great message. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And uh, hopefully uh, more people can become aware of that or in positions to influence economic development. This has been great having you join us and uh, really uh, appreciate it. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad to do it, Gordon. Really honored to be asked and uh, hope everybody enjoyed it. Yeah, and it's Jason Falls, and he's the author of Windfluence, Reframing Influencer Marketing to Ignite Your Brand. So thanks for stopping by again. And if you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe and tell a friend or colleague to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Until next time, make it a great week.